Genesis 10. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The son of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togarma, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Katim, and the Rodanim. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Abelah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabteca. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Adan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalne in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth Ir, Kalah, and Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the great city. Mizraim was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lehebites, Naphatuhites, Pathrasites, Kasluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemarites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zibuim, as far as Lashah. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans and languages, in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asur, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almadad, Shelef, Hezar, Maveth, Gerar, Hadoram, Uzal, Dekla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Meshah towards Safar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. What kind of church is this? <laughs> Talking about termites and nightlights and shoe heights, cigarette lights, just... Uh, that passage is called the Table of Nations. It's the family tree of Noah. 
Notice he was not a redneck. His tree had plenty of branches. There's no other piece of literature in all the world like Genesis chapter 10, for it connects names to places. These people, when God scattered them, went across Europe, Asia, and Africa. And if you dig into the names of these places, the names of cultures in these places, you'll come across uh, similar words to the names of these forefathers. Example, Cush, who was one of Ham's four sons. He had four sons, Cush, Foot, Phizraim, and Canaan. Uh, Ham disrespected his father, and his father put a curse or spoke a curse over Canaan, not over Ham or all of his descendants. So if you've heard that Ham was cursed, that is a false teaching. It was used for centuries to enslave people with dark skin. It's not correct. Canaan was cursed by his grandfather. Whether or not Noah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to do that in a hungover state, that is up for debate in my mind. It is interesting, though, that Canaan lived in the land of Canaan where a lot of debauchery went on. And God judged them by bringing in the children of Israel to conquer that land and in the child sacrifice and uh, other things. And even before that, he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a Canaanite city. Ethiopia is often called Cush or the land of Cush, where the forefather went. So this is an interesting piece of literature. I won't read it to you again, but I would like to just make note of a couple things that I think are interesting. Uh, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them after the flood. So let's go to uh, the sons of Ham, verse 6. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And then Cush had sons, and these descendants went into Africa. But he had another son named Nimrod who went into the land known as now is Assyria, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. So Nimrod was a great hunter, uh, not in the sense of hunting wolves and lions and tigers, but in the sense of hunting for men. He was a powerful leader, and no doubt he was a ringleader of what happened in the next chapter. Let's look at that. Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come. Let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let's go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused 
the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Can you imagine carrying a bucket of asphalt? One of the masons hands you his trowel, said, more asphalt, please. And you hand it to him, expecting him to say thank you. And he goes, I mean, the whole construction project flew to pieces because people couldn't communicate. And God did this to scatter the nations across the face of the earth. They did this, building this tower, to prevent them from being scattered across the earth. Let's build a command center. No doubt Nimrod would become the mighty dictator of the world. Let's build command central. Let's build this tower. Maybe, maybe it would be a place of safety for people wealthy enough to, to uh, be able to get to the top in case a flood happened again. I don't know. But to me, this is a hinge story in the book of Genesis. Chapters 1 to chapter 11 is the first part of the book, and then chapter 12 and onward to the end of the book is the story of Abram's family. So we're fixing to zero in on Abram. And we see the branch developing in the sons of Shem. Chapter 10, verse 21, children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. Eber becomes Hebrew in the language. And Shem was not his father. Shem was his great-grandfather. But Moses, who's writing this book in the wilderness, conveying what has been passed down to them for generations, that Shem is their forefather, the one that Noah did speak a blessing over. Actually, Noah worshipped for Shem. He said, blessed be the God of Shem. So Shem was a godly person. And so through him came his great-grandson, Eber. So skip on down to verse uh, 25. So here comes a great-great-grandson. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for his days, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So in the time of Peleg's childhood, maybe, or his birth, this Tower of Babel thing happened, and there came the scattering or the dividing. The name Peleg means to branch off. Um, a Peleg of a lake would be another, I say, leg to help me remember the name Peleg. And so God branches off from the human race, as it was, having delegated to them the responsibility of filling the earth, and through Peleg, fathers the Hebrews. Peleg being related to Eber, his dad. And so this Tower of Babel thing happens, and the Lord judges them so that they have to scatter and fill the earth. I'd like to speak to you for the next few minutes on the subject, the Creator's mandate to the world. Can we say mandate? It's a command. It parallels, in my mind, with the Great Commission. In Genesis chapter 1, filling the earth was God's first command to mankind. He blessed them, then here's the command. He created man in his own image, Genesis 1.27, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Why does he want them to fill the earth? Well, he made the earth. And they created man in his image. He wanted them to fill the earth, be like him in being creative and farming and building stuff. 
around this planet. Then after the recreation of the world, here comes a similar command. This was his first command to Noah's family. After Noah communed with God through this offering of a sacrifice, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What did the people at the Tower of Babel say? Let's build us a place. Let's make us a name lest we be scattered across the earth. Well, that's what God wanted, but they didn't want it. Elder Greg's going to come up in a few minutes and give us some more insights as to why God wanted them scattered. This is our forefathers. Why did he want us scattered? Biblical archaeology is confirming that this event occurred. We see in Genesis 10.32, it ends with these words, these were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations, and from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. This guy is a famous archaeologist. He lived between 1891 and 1971. He was not a believer, but his archaeological discoveries caused him to make statements like this. There could be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of Old Testament tradition. Speaking of Genesis chapter 10, William F. Albright also said, Genesis 10 stands absolutely alone in ancient literature without a remote parallel even among the Greeks where we find the closest approach to a distribution of peoples in a genealogical framework. The table of nations, that's what we call Genesis 10, remains an astonishingly accurate document. So maybe you're into this kind of thing, study it out, bring back a report to me. It's awesome, but don't get lost because it's all about Jesus, right? Speaking of digging into stuff, the Chinese alphabet is amazing. One of the Chinese languages, you can preach the gospel from their alphabet. This is a word for boat or ship, a big boat. It's made of three Chinese characters reading from right to left. People, that's square or lopsided square, means people. It actually is a mouth. Why would they use a mouth to symbolize people? Because we're the only creatures on earth that speak. Well, I know apes grunt and stuff, but it doesn't even compare. All right? So people, and then their figure for eight, and then their figure for a vessel or even a, a little bitty boat. Eight people in a boat is their word for ship. Where did they get that? Well, over 350 cultures have a flood story in their stories. Wonderful. Study it out. There's some amazing things. Just Google gospel Chinese letters, and you'll come up with just like, wow, amazing. This plan of us being scattered across the earth, fulfilling the Table of Nations chapter, was expedited by the Tower of Babel incident, what we just read. Therefore, this place is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. The day people started babbling. <laughs> of course, there's a, a remnant of people that stayed there, and 
Uh, eventually, you know, they created Babylon, which was not a good thing. So over 6,500 languages in the world. Facts about them just blow my mind. There's languages in India similar to languages in Eastern Europe, but no similarities to languages in between. As a kid from 65 to 69, we lived in Liberia, West Africa. Liberia now is 4.7 million people, close to 30 languages in a place a little smaller than Georgia. 30 languages. And most of them completely different from the other one. One of them have its own, the Vi people have their own alphabet. They're the only one of the almost 30 tribes with 30 languages that can read and write in their own alphabet. It's a unique alphabet. It's never seen anything like it. Uh, they have the New Testament in their, in their language. <clears throat> the other people around them don't read and write, but they have their unique languages. How did that happen? The Bible has the answer. Why did it happen is the question for us today. Why did God want them scattered? Well, he loves us, cares about us, but he had a plan that he wasn't going to have fouled up by men rebelling against his plan. Number five, Genesis continues now as we shift gears, this hinge story with the story of a man, Abram, soon to be Abraham, who would father a nation, a miraculous father, to bless all the other nations of the world. This is the hinge scripture, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the family, of the earth shall be blessed. Are there any family representatives in the house? We're all single? Even as a single person, you're a family representative. Are there any family representatives in the house that would testify that Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, has brought blessing to your family? This is why. Scatter the nations, not because he hated them, because he loved them. For God so loved the world that he scattered the nations so that a man named Abram could father a nation. And through him, his loins would come, Joseph and Mary. And through Mary, the virgin, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, the Son of God would be born. That's the roots of the gospel right here. In Genesis 12, 1, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there's plenty of physical blessings that are coming from Abram's descendants, right? A lot of unique inventions are coming out of the land of Israel. It's just amazing. If we got into that, we wouldn't talk about anything else. I mean, just stunning stuff. But we're talking about the Creator's mandate to the world before we shift gears and focus on the Hebrew nation. He loved the world. Paul tapped into this when he ministered to the people on Mars Hill, the, the uh, philosophers in Greece. 
You know, as, just as God told the nations to scatter, Jesus told his nation, his people, his followers to scatter, to go into all the world. As you are going, make disciples of all the nations. So I see a parallel between the Great Commission and the Creator's first mandate. So in ministering to the followers of Greek philosophy, Paul taps into where their education, and he says, speaking of God, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. He loves us all. He gave the world the sign of the rainbow to bring comfort to our hearts that never again is he going to destroy the earth with a flood. Now, I shared this last week, and I verified it. Happened to be in a function at the Stacy's home with two rabbis, one Orthodox and one progressive. They both said the same thing. The Hebrew word for rainbow, in most translations, God says, I placed my bow in the cloud. The Hebrew word for bow is a word kashet, and it means a war bow. And they confirmed that the bow is pointed upward to signify to the world God is not aiming his judgment with a flood on us ever again. You know, if you see someone carrying a gun, you don't want them walking around like this, hey, what's up? Where can I get some coffee? You want them holding that thing up, right? So God's bow of judgment exists, but it's pointed upward. Isn't that awesome? It's kind of scary to think what people are trying to do with the rainbow now. It's something to fear God concerning. Back to Acts 17. Here's Elder Greg to share some insight. During uh, Pastor Allen's first message this morning, I, I just God gave me three points to, to talk about in regards to dispersal. Why would God disperse people across, across the face of the earth? Three points. Number one is we are all made in the image of God, the Mago Dei, according to the Latin, the image of God. So when he disperses people across the face of the planet, he's literally dispersing his own image throughout the world. We carry his image to the very ends of the earth. Isn't that cool? Think about that. And that's how the glory of God gets dispersed around the planet as well. Second point, it's in Genesis 3, God put to, in place a plan to redeem the world, his creation, from the fall. And he's executing that plan even today, right? He's executing that plan even today. So it's easier for him to protect his plan or his seed of redemption from attack or corruption by dispersing it across the face of the, uh, of the world. It's somewhat akin to what happened in, in Pearl Harbor during World War II. You remember that all the battleships were all lined up, and it was easy for the Japanese to sink all those battleships but praise God, the three carriers were actually outside the harbor on maneuvers, and that what, that's what allowed the U.S. Navy to really redeem that situation 
in the course of the next couple of years only because our carriers were saved. And in somewhat a, a likely fashion, God has protected his seed, that is the seed of Abraham, that is Jesus, from any attack or corruption because the devil wants to thwart God's plan. Okay? And then the third thing is that dispersed peoples, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, dispersed peoples really have an easier time relying on, on the Lord God. Um, when our nation was established, the people that went to Virginia and Massachusetts, you can't read their historical writings. You can't read a paragraph of that without them turning to God about some need that they have. And maybe you've experienced that yourself. You've been in a situation where you are away from your friends and your family. You're you feel like you're dispersed. And what do you generally do as a believer? You turn to God. It becomes so much easier to turn to God in those situations and to rely on God. And I really believe that what God is doing with dispersal is he's making sure that the people turn to him. And that's why he chased the people out of Babel. And um, so it's easier for us to rely on God in those situations, those circumstances, we see that in play today. You know, we, we live in what they would call flyover country here in, in Hood County. Um, we're a little bit more agricultural. You know, the, the urban centers tend to be a lot more secular, right? But agricultural country, the kind of the great center of the country, what do we call it? The Bible Belt. And the reason we call it the Bible Belt is because it's filled with people that really understand that we have a need for God. We need we need to pray for, to God for rain. We need to pray to God for protection over our crops, things like that. So this is why God disperses us. Thank you. Notice Genesis 10, there's no verses that can be used to defend racism. Skin color is not mentioned. It's about filling the earth and dispersing people to nations. Well, people need to stay where God put them. Well, you need to read the rest of your biblical history. Remember Jesus affirming God's love for the Samaritans? They were a dispersed people. Uh, Israel, due to their not serving God's purposes, he judged them and dispersed them to the nations. And they're still diverse, dispersed all around the world. So God uses dispersion for his purposes so that we don't be sticks in the mud. But there is something to be said about why faith is stronger in the rural U.S. than there is in the urban U.S. Something, something's there. Could it be light pollution keeps us from seeing the wonder of the heavens? Glory of the stars. Just awesome. When I uh, visited rural Zimbabwe a couple years ago, the sky in the southern hemisphere looks different than it does in this hemisphere, but at night, no lights unless you have a generator or a car or a flashlight. The heavens are amazing. God's glory is declared in the heavens. God forbid that we should allow technology to muffle it out. So this isn't a call to move off and live in the country by yourself. That's not God's plan. But it is a call to take seriously the Great Commission, to see how it's paralleled. God scattered the nations, chose a man named Abram, and through him he's going to bless the nations. And so Christ came 
as fulfillment of that promise, but we continue to walk in light of that promise. We are God's instruments to bless the nations. As we're going, we're to make disciples of all the nations. There's three approaches to missions. One are people who go. Two are people who sin. And three are people who are just rebellious. They don't go, they don't sin. They enjoy their blessed assurance, no pun intended. So where do you stand in light of this? Is God calling you to go? Is God calling you to sin? Is God calling you to stop rebelling? Let's pray. Lord, help us to take your mandate seriously and to realize the beauty of missions, how it brings blessing to the world, how it helps fulfill your will, how it's continuing the blessing of Abraham. And Lord, we thank you for Abraham and for his children. Lord, may we be a blessing as people and as a congregation to Israel. But Lord, may we be a blessing to this mandate of carrying the good news to the nations of the world, starting with children here at home. Lord, may people sign up for good news clubs, those that need to, either at at this next opportunity or in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you are